Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am Vince Rocco. On the show today, living a green lifestyle is about truly embracing sustainability and making real differences for the planet and for the people. Today, everyone wants to do his or her bit for the environment. However, knowing how to go about it is the key, but it is also very hard. The real estate market's interest in green real estate on new and existing buildings is on the rise and there is no end in sight. Homeowners are seeking healthy green real estate more than ever and sourcing real estate agents that are certified in green homes. We will talk about restaurants, businesses, and real estate construction and brokerage firms, all keeping green in mind. All of this and so much more as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. We are live from various uh, locations in New York State. In the news this morning, East Hampton town officials have asked the state government to bar local motels from booking rooms to out-of-towners over concerns of a coronavirus surge, this according to the Southampton Press. Some motels are gearing up for visitors, but owners of others have said there's not much business to be had. The East Hampton town board wrote in a letter to Governor Cuomo, uh, New York State's governor, uh, about their guidance and saying that it is inconsistent. It is both lists, it both lists motels and essential businesses, but also advises local governments to shutter any attractions that could bring in non-locals. And about a third of the U.S. employees are working remotely from their homes as of last month. In the meantime, a number of third-party reports on how many workers and companies prefer it to stay that way, either as a part-time basis or a full-time basis, portend at least some long-term impact on commercial real estate ranging from measurable to transformative. By the end of April, 69% of companies had plans to shrink their office footprint in accordance with increased remote work, according to a, a, a survey by Core Net Global. A preference among many employees has also become more apparent, especially for remote work on a part-time basis. Four out of five employees in a global Collier's International survey conducted recently said they would like to work remotely one day a week or more beyond the coronavirus crisis. So we ask, what is the future of commercial office space as we know it today? We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but green is our subject, and I'm really excited about this because you will hear from such dedicated pros and the biggest benefits from green living are obviously the environmental benefits that come with green, healthy living. Actions such as recycling, pollution reduction, nature conservation, and plant and green, uh, plant and tree rather, uh, cultivation will all create a much more sustainable world for us and for our future generations. A significant economic benefit of going green is that it helps lower costs and saves money. Use of renewable energy helps reduce uh, energy consumption, which in turn helps save money used on electricity bills, for example. An apparent benefit of going green at home is that it helps reduce water and power bills significantly. We have an all-star all cast today. Two um, special guests. Ed, Eddie Sofer is the ESG manager at Interactive Brokers. 
Uh, he is creating and designing ways to incorporate environmental, social, and governance, ESG, elements into his firm's culture, products, and services. Prior to Interactive Brokers, Eddie worked at Brown ha uh, Brothers Harriman, where he initiated the firm's ESG awareness and creation of a business strategy across all of its business units. Eddie received his BA in political science from New York University and his uh, MA and MBA in international business from George Washington University. He is also fluent in Spanish and Hebrew and conversational in Arabic and French. He is very passionate about changing the world we live in. He also enjoys cooking, yoga, and meditation. Also with us today is Ronan Seri. He is an entrepreneur behind the wildly successful Blossom Restaurant, a longtime vegan. Ronan established Blossom in 2005 out of necessity. New York City lacked restaurants which provided health conscious and environmentally friendly dishes, and he wanted to offer an upscale yet welcoming eatery that also encouraged and allowed patrons to live a guilt-free, balanced lifestyle. Blossom Chelsea quickly became Manhattan's go-to eatery for vegans and non-vegans alike. I'm one of them. This resulted in the opening of four subsequent Blossom uh, locations. Devoted to living a completely balanced lifestyle, Ronan wants to share his love of life through innovative specialty dishes that are free of animal byproducts and are also kosher. With the enormous success of Blossom, Ronan continues to encourage New Yorkers to live a life which strikes a balance between health and comfort. Uh, you know, also, I sort of remember something about a book uh, being worked on or coming out, so hopefully he's going to tell us, yes, that's happening, and we'll get to that in a minute. Also joining us today is Sarah Rada. She's the executive director of sales for all of Halstead downtown. Bo Paulson, uh, also from Halstead, and Ari Harkoff, also from Halstead. So as I said, all-star panel. Good morning, everyone, and welcome after this very long holiday weekend. How is everybody? Thank you, Chris. Morning. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yes, I'm on my second cup of coffee. <laughs> All right. So, um, Eddie, let me start with you. Uh, you know, in, in the business and the, in the financial sector, environmental, social, and governance, ESG, as, as we refer to it, um, refers to three central factors in measuring the sustainability and the societal impact of an, in, uh, an investment in a company or business. Uh, these criteria help to better determine the future financial performance of companies, the return and the risk, of course. But what are the three, you know, central factors? I mean, you know, I, 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 I you know, just call them out. But, you know, when you're looking at companies, you know, what are the, the, the major components of, you know, whatever equation you're trying to put together for success in those companies? Um, yeah. So um, ESG, uh, as you said, stands for Environment, Social and Governance. Um, in the past, it was also referred to as SRI, which is Sustainable Responsible Investing. This has been around for a very long time. Um, there's much more focus these days because there's a new generation of stakeholders, which also includes investors, employees, uh, suppliers, distributors. They're all millennials, right? And they care deeply about the environment. So ESG has become mainstream. And you're seeing a lot of industries all over the world incorporating that into their business. So to answer your question, the three central factors, obviously, is environment, social, and governance. But specifically, what do we look at every single pillar? On the environment, we look at how are companies addressing carbon emissions? How are they dealing with the pollution in the environment? What are they doing to recycle? What are they doing to use less plastic? 
So that's kind of like on the E side. On the S side is social. That's more has to do with employees and stakeholders. How are companies treating their employers? How are companies treating their customers? How are companies producing their products abroad, taking into account labor rights and conditions of work? So that's kind of on the S side. And then on the G side, talks about governance. And that deals more with shareholders and senior management. So that addresses kind of like how open is the board to having more diversity? Women on the board, how are they treating their shareholders and stakeholders? How are they treating their dividends and cash policies? Do they keep the dividends or give them back? How open are they about giving back to communities? So those are the three central pillars, and those have to be looked on very differently by industry, right? That's what I call materiality. So some companies will have more of an environmental impact than others. For example, companies in the oil industry, the E factor has more weight than companies in the financial services sector. So it all depends. But that kind of gives you a sense of the three pillars under ESG and what to look on when you're investing in companies like that. So, so, so when I'm thinking about the behaviors of, of companies and of people in the companies, people who run the companies, when you're looking at these companies, you know, what are the behaviors? So I, what I can call from what you just said, it's the how, how to or how they're doing this or how they're doing that. I mean, what... I mean, just like any other, you know, uh, consultant who will go into a company and say, hey, look, you know, so I need to check out how you're running your business. And they've got a criteria, of course, that they, that they follow. So what are the things that you specifically look at as far as behaviors of, uh, I, I guess I would say, executive management of, of companies? Is there anything special that they're, you know, not doing? Sure, Vince. And that are triggers. Sure. Sure thing. So, so yeah, there's a lot of um, right now emerging metrics on how to look at ESG. But for example, I'll take a I'll I'll take a stab at a financial services company. For example, when companies are looking at the S factor in financial services company, you want to see what's happening internally as it relates to the employees. Are the employees being treated fairly? Um, do, do, do the employees have the opportunity to speak about how they feel about the company? Are there uh, enough females within the company or minorities? Um, are they also being told, you know, that they can contribute in community and volunteer opportunities, right? So that's kind of like on the S factor, right? There's a lot of companies out there that are helping investors and stakeholders to take a look at how they're investing in, or how they're doing on ESG. They're called ESG rating companies, right? So they're the ones that can kind of guide you and give a rating as to which companies you should be investing in or not if you're a sustainable, passionate investor. Um, the other thing that I would mention, there's emerging leading authorities, like there's a company called SASB, which stands for the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. They're leading the way. I had mentioned materiality. So they pretty much focus on what is important by industry, right? So for example, in financial services, the factors that are most important are labor relations, um, human rights as well, community development, and also governance, products and services. So th those are the factors you need to focus on in a company that is zoomed into the financial services sector. 
it would be different in a company that is in retail and apparel, right? So again, it kind of varies by industry, but there's a lot of leading companies that are helping the way. Not, nonetheless, I think it's important for us as investors to do the due diligence. So even if you have all these rating agencies out there that are guiding you, you need to go in and take a look at the company's disclosure, not just financial metrics, but see what they're doing as it relates to their employees. What is the composition of the labor force? What are they doing to give back to the community? Um, and that's, that's becoming more prevalent now during the crisis, the pandemic. Companies uh, are really trying to differentiate, differentiate themselves for a good reason, and investors are taking note. All right, so we're going to leave it there. We're going to come back and talk about how you can actually integrate all of this stuff in investment portfolios uh, of people. Uh, Good Morning New York is just getting underway on this Tuesday morning, so we will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. Uh, so, Eddie, just to complete our thought here, there is uh, growing evidence that suggests that ESG factors, when integrated into investment uh, analysis and portfolio construction, may offer investors potential long-term performance advantages. How does that work? Sure. So, there's been a, a lot of studies out there that are showing the strong connection between looking at ESG and financial performance. This is, not, this is nothing new. 
I, I call it prudent sort of analysis and prudent risk management. So you, you have to take a look at companies. If you want to invest in companies that are going to be successful, and this is important to say, over the long term, it's not going to be overnight. You have to take a look at companies that are giving back to society, right? So this is the, the one thing that people are starting to learn, that ESG is not a trade-off with profits, right? They go hand in hand. So if you start looking at companies that are what I call creating a social value, right? Yeah. But at the same time, focus on profit. So, you know, company, you don't have to also look at it as a company's charitable and, you know, we're going to forego profits. No, they're, they're hand in hand. So if you right. take a look at those two factors, over the long run, you'll see that these companies that are focusing on ESG outperform companies that are not. So it's sound risk management, right? So you don't want to invest in management that doesn't focus on employee, that doesn't give back to the community, that doesn't really care about customers and all they care about is profits, right? So you also want to invest in companies that are doing good for the environment, that are investing in re renewable energy, kind of like what you talked about during the introduction. All of those initiatives reduce costs. So over the long run, the expense ratio is lower. It improves profits, right? And it's the same with sort of um, governance. You want a company that is very open about how they do things. You don't want companies that are hiding things or right, companies right. that really just take care of themselves without looking at everyone around them. So right. to summarize, you have to invest in companies that are very focused on all of their stakeholders, not shareholders, stakeholders, which is everyone that touches the company. So Eddie, I mean. does any of this, in your opinion, and, and, and not to get political on the show because we don't do that, but it, does any of this ever become political with non-believers of green and non-believers of you know climate control and, and all the things that we all obviously uh, believe strongly in? Does it really become political? And if so, how does that affect uh, what you need to do work-wise? And, and Vince, that's a, that's a great question because when I started looking at ESG maybe – five or six years ago and became passionate about it, there was a lot of people that were sort of like, oh, come on, this doesn't really work. It's, it's sort of like a box ticking exercise. There is no, because the traditional Wall Street point of view was that if you invest in companies that are doing ESG, there's no, not going to be a return down the road. It's not going to help. So yes, I, I do agree with you that it, it, sometimes there was a lot of trying to convince people. Right. I was always trying to defend my point of view, but I think, Vince, that's starting to change and it's changing very rapidly. There's a lot of studies out there by many experts in academia and even in, in the private sector that are showing, you know, over a long period of time, how companies that are focused on ESG are outperforming others. You're also seeing, like I was mentioning, a generation of millennials. You're seeing uh, huge asset managers like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, they're all focusing on state on, uh, on ESG. So the conversation is changing very rapidly, and those naysayers are starting to come to the other side of the aisle, so to speak, and they're starting yeah. to believe more. And honestly, at the end of the day, you need to cater to what customers want, and they all want this to say, and it's happening globally. So that is changing rapidly. Amen. Amen. I was happy to hear you say that. Uh, so, Bo, the real estate market's interest in green real estate on new and existing buildings is on the rise, and there seems to be you know, no end in sight. Homeowners are seeking healthy green real estate more than ever. 
and they're sourcing real estate agents that are certified in green homes. First, for my benefit, can you tell me what, if you know what that certification would include? Uh, I mean, I can venture a guess, but you know, what what is a green certified agent? Um, well, I, there's there's different types of green certified agents out there, but um, you know, the original program was the one that was brought by by the U.S. Green Council, which is the, the lead program, which is leadership and energy and environmental design. Uh, but I think a lot of people and I think a lot of agents, for example, have moved away from that. Um, I was one of the first agents to actually get um, get certified in it. But I would say that um, it's probably more for, you know, larger buildings. And even today, I think one of the most important things that we're looking at is is more the uh, the passive house design. So how do we how do we get energy efficiency and sustainability in a building together. Because unfortunately the lead program was a point system where you got to tick off boxes and not all the boxes necessarily meant that you had an environmentally friendly building or an energy efficient building. So, you know, uh, I think for now we're really seeing people move towards net zero. We're seeing people move towards um, new building concepts like panels, uh, prefab modular systems, and also um, towards the uh, the energy efficiency side from the passive house side. Um, so that's that's really important right now. So, in your opinion, construction, you know, hopefully is in phase one. Hopefully, that is going to resume uh, June thirteenth uh, here in New York State. As we get back into that, are there any particular safety measures or green measures that uh, folks are looking at? Um, as a as a result of this crisis, I think one of the most important things is that, for example, on the passive house um, uh, scenario, you really you create a, you create a, um, an airtight building, and that airtight building constantly has fresh air coming in and out of the building, and so you can filter the air, uh, which means that your your air coming into the building is going to be fresh air. It's going to be filtered, and it's coming in twenty four seven. So during a pandemic like this, you know, you're really seeing a lot of office buildings starting to look at that because what you can do is you can create a controlled environment and you can create one that is a lot safer for your employees. And uh, I think that in this situation, that's extremely important. For the benefit of the audience out there who, again, may not necessarily understand to your level or in the level of several others here today, what are the green materials that are used or being used in a new construction building and how can they replace whatever new needs to happen in older buildings to make them more uh, green uh, certified? Well, I think, I mean, you have to, like old office buildings, you have to retrofit them completely. You have to switch from, you know, single panel and dual panel windows to triple panel windows. You have to, you have to make them airtight. So you have to use sealant systems, and then you have to use um, new, you can either do a blown in cellulose type um, insulation, or you can add new insulation to the outside of the buildings. But it's, it's not an easy task. Uh, you know, a lot of buildings were built inefficiently and, um, and to upgrade them definitely takes money. And, it, and it's, um, it's important that when we're building new buildings that we look at this because, I mean, during this pandemic, I can tell you living in a drafty house upstate I miss my uh, I miss my passive house in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. I miss having you know the same controlled, comfortable temperature twenty four seven, and uh, and having to you know sort of 
sitting in a drafty room and during a snowstorm. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely uh, there's a big difference between the two. Ari Harkoff, just before we go to break, uh, so let me ask you, when you're out there, you know, showing uh, yeah, many, many of your, your buyers out there, do any of them or how many of them is better said? How many of them are asking for, you know, green certified construction or green certified homes uh, that, that you may show, houses or, or uh, apartments? Um, I think the answer is people aren't specifically at this stage looking for green certified. I think that that, um, as Bo said, was sort of a thing of maybe like 10 years ago. Um, like you look at some of the buildings on the waterfront, like, you know, the edge in Williamsburg was originally built as LEED certified. I don't think people care so much about that, but I think the practical elements like Bo's referring to in terms of, um, you know, insulation, uh, you know, um, carrying costs, utility bills, et cetera, are right. more on people's minds. I also think that New Yorkers as a whole, and you alluded to this earlier, look at the green climate change piece as sort of like, duh, like this is obvious, it's just a reality. Whereas I think in other parts of the country, it may not be so clear. Right. Um, but I think it's practical now more than it is, um, uh, you know, like a, um, a sign of fashion or something like that. Okay, we're going to go to break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk about restaurants. We're going to talk about brokerage firms, agents, and how all of this uh, gels together. We will come back after the break. This is uh, Good Morning New York live from New York. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show okay everybody we are back and i just wanted to point out today we good good morning new york hit a milestone with today's episode number 300 so when I think of that number, that's six uh, plus years of broadcasting. That's quite amazing. I can't even believe that that's uh, how long we've been doing this, let alone 300 episodes, uh, almost you know one uh, every week for the last six years. So I want to especially thank my guest today because this is a great topic to, to, to discuss. Uh, and our next topic is going to be restaurants and food. So what better way to celebrate 300 episodes than restaurants and food, right? So, Ronan, in, you know, being in New York City, the, the ground zero um, of all of the hardest hit cities and being a niche in the restaurant world, what has the demand response been from your clientele at this time? And as, and as I said at the top of the program, Ronan owns the uh, famous uh, chain of restaurants, Blossom uh, Restaurants in New York, and they're vegan restaurants. And I, for one, happen to love them. I have one in my neighborhood. But what... Um, What's been the response from your clientele at the moment? Obviously, all restaurants are closed for the pandemic. Um, anything in particular uh, with your client set? Um, obviously, we are. Sorry, can you hear me? I can very well. Okay. Obviously, uh, like you mentioned, we are closed, so it's a very challenging uh, times. But we do. We are open for delivery and takeout. I mean, business has been very, very slow. Um, so it's going to be a marathon in the, uh, restaurant business because we are affected by all of the factors of this pandemic. I mean, we have the social distancing, we have the tourism that is stopped. We have, uh, so our aspect, I mean, restaurant business is going to be tough for a while. Before we get into what the future is going to look like, and I mean, everybody has their own, you know, predictions. Tell us a little bit, though, about the culture. And you and I and Sarah have talked about this many times. Um, tell us a little bit, though, about the culture, you know, and how it um, how it maps to the discussion we're having today and why yeah. it's important, you know, just in general out there. Uh, and as Ari said a little while ago, you know, maybe in the middle part of the country, it's not so mm-hmm. uh, adopted, but certainly in, in the urban centers in New York City, it, it really is. 
Tell us a little bit about the culture. I mean, I would hope that at a certain point we will wake up to the fact that harming animals, um, you know, is, is, is a direct result of what, is, what we are experiencing now. So I think that we have to look at, at how we eat, what we eat, why we eat it. Um, we have to look at the earth as a whole because it's a living organism. Um, and to see that uh, we are responsible for, for uh, how we live. And it's not a simple solution to, uh, no. you know, to this pandemic. It's not a simple solution by putting dividers because I think as we are disturbing a lot of the earth like for a long, long time. And at a certain point, it's going to explode like any other <laughs> living organism. So... I think that it's not simple. The solutions are not simple. I think we have to take responsibility to what we eat, to what we, how we do things, like Eddie says, how we treat each other. Um, so I think it's like you said, it's, a day, it's everything connect, connected to, to one another, all of those things we do. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you something. The other day I was flipping through the channels over the weekend and I came across something about the, uh, the pandemic and, and the China angle of the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I just happened to catch the story as I was flipping through and how they kill live animals and it, it, I have to tell you something you know if anyone watching that I, I couldn't watch it but I, I saw enough of it to make me sick to my stomach couldn't eat after that mm. uh, but when I saw that I just thought well and I mean I don't want to get into the script but but little animal I mean just horrible yeah and I thought okay well so um, I get it but I, I've always kind of got it but you know again with people seeing that uh, if they don't make a decision I don't know what do you think your restaurant is going to look like when the pandemic is finished and we all come out of this, however we come out of this? And I'm going to speak to Ari about that and Bo and Sarah about that and Eddie, you know, it, how it touches all of our, mm. our individual businesses. But in the restaurant business, which, of course, is all near and dear to our hearts, I mean, how do you, you, know, how do you come out of this and what is it going to look like, do you, if you even know at the moment? Um, I don't exactly. One good thing came out of this for me is that I see how essential restaurants are, meaning it's a part of our lives. It's an amazing, um, you know, it's what we do. You go out, you enjoy. I miss that. I miss to have a glass of wine with a good meal. <laughs> it's, it's, we are social animals. Touche. So yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so I think on this level, I see some hope. Um, <laughs> But of course, we have to, our practices have to change uh, only temporarily with dividers, uh, with um, hygiene, meaning a lot more washing hands, yeah. uh, putting, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult because, again, in a city, uh, we live very close to one another. So to put artificial things sometime, I think we try to find simple solutions to something much deeper. And that's the truth of it. <laughs> Do you fear, though, I mean, watching the news the past yes. week or two, as, you know, most states have opened, and even though restaurants mm -hmm. are opening kind of on a smaller, you know, level, whatever. However, when you look at the, the news reports and you're watching what is happening in restaurants where people have a complete mm. disregard for anything that we just went through or are currently going through, 
Do you get concerned about that happening at one of the Blossom restaurants uh, where, you know, you open the doors and you have this grand plan of limited seating, et cetera, maybe plastic barricades, and then all of a sudden you get flooded with people? Look, we're all business people. We all like yeah. to earn money. What yeah. happened with that? I mean, we have to limit. We have to listen. And we have to do our best uh, to try not to spread it around. At the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the demand. And I, we have to do our best not to crowd the restaurant. But, and that's what we will have to do. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a problem. It, yeah. It, it's a problem. It's going to be a major challenge, but I think maybe in New York City we're going to have a have it a little easier than some of these other states around the the U.S. Mm. that uh, don't necessarily you know believe in a lot of things. Sarah, yeah. let me ask you: Wellness is coined as the new luxury. Okay, so what does that mean, and how how do you see you know um, this living in the brokerage world, or what I? have been thinking lately, the new brokerage world. Again, whatever that means, because I don't even know what that means. Yeah, so wellness is the new luxury in the sense that a lot of developers are are gearing their, their shared amenity space towards wellness. That, just as Eddie was talking about, it's here, the demand is here, the awareness is here, and the benefits are so apparent that you have that demand, so that's that's what developers are going to supply. So right now, the interesting thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is how consumers respond to this because temp, you know, maybe for the shorter term, are consumers really going to want smaller boutique buildings where there isn't that much amenity space and that they, you know, they might be paying for in these large buildings with tens of thousands of square feet of, of wellness and amenity space, if they're not using it, it's going to be an interesting thing to see, you know, how, how consumers respond to that. But we do notice before the pandemic, we were noticing that that was becoming much more popular and, and the, the later trend in building. Ari uh, Harkov, you know, I, I was thinking too, as I was looking at all this stuff, I know for me and, and probably for you as you're out there showing your buyers uh, new development stuff and the way I sell my new development buildings all the time, obviously are amenities, right? The gyms, the pools, if there if pools involved, how do you think in your opinion, it's going to affect, you know, that type of sale going forward? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 because immediately, question. Pool, because immediately <laughs> pools and, and gyms are going to be a problem, right? Because they so, already are. I mean, you have a couple issues. You have a lot of different issues to unpack with the amenities. So the first is I think people have become more sophisticated over the years and realized they don't actually use them in the way that they think they're going to use them. So that's one issue. The other issue is the carrying costs associated with amenities. So, for example, pools are very expensive to maintain. Um, a gym is not expensive to maintain. Once you essentially put the capital into setting it up, the gym is, is self-sustaining for the most part. I mean, you maybe replace a you know, piece of equipment periodically. Um, so I think buildings are more conscious of carrying costs, particularly in light of, you know, the salt um, uh, cap, you know, about two, three years ago. Um, overall re rising real estate taxes, overall rising expenses. So I don't think that's pandemic associated. I think that's more just, you know, consumers looking at their cash outflow. With a pandemic now, I think you're going to see something of a shift, certainly in the short term, towards smaller buildings, townhouses, um, 
you know, amenity spaces being perhaps um, more spaced out, so cramming less into a tighter space. Um, but I think the answer is none of us really know exactly how it's all going to shift, but certainly these, you know, incredible amenity spaces that might have added a lot of value three or four months ago, I think, um, are going to be in much less demand um, yeah. at least in the short term. Uh, Sarah, you know, for example, I'm looking forward to, and I keep, and, and I'm probably willing this to happen, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the day where the townhouse doldrums kind of come out of the, the doldrums and kind of come squealing back because I, I, what Ari just said, look, and you said before, smaller buildings, uh, maybe townhouses. So, you know, I don't know what the price points will be in townhouses, but I suspect that a lot of people, especially with families, are going to be very interested uh, in townhouse living. What do we're you think? already seeing that, Vince. You yeah. know, we're, we're seeing an uptick in demand for, for single homes where mm. it's all contained. So that that is already on the rise for sure. Yeah. So, Bo, do you agree with all that? I mean, in your business, are you seeing people who really want to, you know, kind of stay in the city, number one, because I don't believe all these people are flocking out of the city. I mean, that's just... I don't know. I, th I think it's just hearsay, but uh, some will, but most won't. But d do you think they're going to be looking for more spaces like that? Uh, more single family homes, townhomes, Brooklyn, certainly single family homes. I, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, going into an elevator right now is a pretty stressful type of thing, especially if you have 10 or 20 people going into an elevator. And um, I'm unfortunately going to have to disagree with you a little bit. I have had so many people who are going to be leaving the city. Um, and uh, and okay. it's, it's not, not, not hearsay. And, and, and it's not even a, um, you know, a lot of brokers out there are like, well, you know, people will come back. And I, I believe that's true. You know, some of these people are going to be leaving temporarily. But unfortunately, I am seeing everybody from, you know, waiters to hedge fund managers losing their jobs right now. And it's happening. And it's, um, yeah. it, New York's going to have a tough time rebuilding. We're going to need people like Ronen to be extremely strong through something like this. And we're going to need landlords to work together with tenants and we're, we're we need a new paradigm in the city and it's it, it has to come because that's the only way, way we're going to rebuild the city and uh, it's um, it's not going to be easy but um, you know all of us here I think are going to you know stick through it and we're going to help where we can to, to be able to do that. I mean I, I, I do agree with you in that uh, I wasn't thinking at the moment about all the the, the loss of jobs and that certainly is going to um, impact how quickly we can um, come back because it's not only the blue collar workers mm -hmm. or the first line responders or whatever, it's a lot of white collar uh, people losing jobs as well. So yeah. let's take a break. Uh, good morning, New York. Uh, we'll come back after these messages. So don't go away. The internet's number one talk station, number one talk station, voiceamerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. 
Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back for a second. Um, You know, Bo, you just made a really good point during the break, uh, and that is the companies that are, you know, adhering to the ESG standards are probably going to come out of this better and probably going to do better than most other companies. My question uh, basically to everyone is, so we have an understanding of what all this means. We we also have a great understanding of what the pandemic of the last two and a half month, three months has uh, meant to our city uh, and suburbs. Where do we go from there? So Sarah, I mean, you know, for example, what what does a brokerage firm look like? And, and Ari and, and Bo, you know, what do the agent profiles look like? As we slowly come back, hopefully mid to end of June and then into the summer months, what are we looking like? Because there's so much talk out there on the street and so many brokers, you know, um, wondering uh, what what's happening, what's happening. I don't think anybody really knows. You know, so I think that there are there are a few elements that we have to look at. So from the brokerage perspective, the business side, number one, as you know, the front line are the real estate agents who are out showing apartments and interacting with people. So our local board is going to be coming up with strict guidelines of how everyone will have to interact. Right now, unfortunately, there are guidelines that are out there, but everyone's doing a lot of different things. We're, we're very clear on our message at Halstead to follow you know, whatever, whatever the state is telling us to do. So that's, that's on, on the front line. And then in the physical space, just like Ronen, we, we are coming up with plans, protocol for you know, how we're going to rotate people in and out of the offices, uh, physical barriers for our staff, uh, whether it's you know the, the sneeze guards in front of their desks, um, a lot of different things that a lot of the companies are doing. And the thing that's nice is, you know, in this time, we're able to really think about it before we actually implement everything. So we're talking to people in all industries and learning from each other. So the listeners don't know this, but I'm married to Ronen and he owns Blossom. So the things that Halstead is talking about, I can share with him and what he's talking about with his management staff, he can share with me. So there's this really nice sharing that's going on. So hopefully the way we'll come out of this, we hope, is in a very safe way, but also focused on being positive and productive at the same time, just striking a very good balance. Eddie, so how has demand in your business uh, increased since the pandemic? And do you see that it's going to be busier than ever after we sort of start getting back to normal, whatever normal is? Sure. Um, I would say that 
I've been working, I mean, not that I wasn't working a lot before, <laughs> but now even more so than being in the office. Um, we are a brokerage firm, so the demand for brokerage firms in terms of their product has in increased significantly. People are at home. Uh, people want to trade. People, as, as Bo and, and Ari had alluded to, you know, people are losing their jobs, so they want to find other ways to make income. So the significant level of activity is being seen in trading stocks and bonds and all sorts of instruments. Um, post the pandemic, I think this is going to continue to increase. We're seeing a lot of demand coming from new generation of investors like millennials. And I think they're starting to see that if they can invest right now in other things, they're going into the stock market to try to see how they can make additional income. Ari and Bo, so are, are clients, you know, <clears throat> feeling an increased need to want to get out there again uh, and pound the pavement and find an apartment? And what about the sellers? Are they looking at uh, new pricing, come what um, post-pandemic uh, reality? Um, so I think on the seller side, I, I would say most sellers accept the reality that the pandemic obviously impacts pricing. The problem that we're dealing with right now is the market is very thinly traded. So the volume is very low and it's hard to get really good data. So it's hard to be able to say, you know, your property is down 5%, 7%, 9%, whatever the number is based on X trades because there really haven't been that many trades. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been very challenging. And I think also a lot of sellers, as is always the case in New York City, you know, despite the job loss and, and the rest of it, you know, most New York City sellers are quite affluent. And so the attitude is if the price is lower, I probably just won't sell. I'll keep it, um, which is one of the things that props up pricing in New York City. As far as buyers and tenants go, you know, on the demand side, yes, it's there. The problem right now, and, and Sarah alluded to this, is how do we function? How do we get out there? How do we see properties? What's legal? What's not? I spoke to a Compass broker and they're showing. I spoke to a Halstead broker. They're not showing. What does New York State say? What do they not say? My broker says they can meet me. You say you can't meet me. You know, it, it's very confusing right now. Um, so I think that in the coming weeks or month or so, hopefully there'll be some more clarity. I mean, I'll let Bo speak, but I'm naturally very optimistic. I think um, obviously there's job loss, there's um, uh, their health impacts or financial impacts. All of it, you know, can be quite devastating. But I also think New York City is going to bounce back. New York City always bounces back. Human beings have a very short term memory. Human beings have an ability to adapt very quickly. And I think this will be in our rear view mirror faster than we believe. Um, and New York City will be fine. And I think part of what we're seeing in terms of the exodus is you're seeing probably what is a couple of years of suburban moves being condensed into a two or three month period. And I don't know that there's really going to be a meaningful uptick in people leaving the city in the long term. I think you're just condensing a lot of, hey, I might have moved in the next couple of years, so why wouldn't I move now into a very short period of time? Um, but look, once New York City is safe again, are people going to want to live in the suburbs and commute and, and you know, eat at Applebee's? I don't think so. Um, I think they're going to want to go to Ronan's restaurant and live in the city and have the, you know, human connectivity that's driven, you know, urban areas in the first place. So, I don't know. I think a lot of it's being overblown um, by the media and by our short-term focus. So, that's my take. Oh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit more pessimistic than Ari is. <laughs> it's good to get all sides. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, I might be wrong. You know, but, but like I said before, I, you know, I'm going to be one of the people who's going to be here to, to help rebuild the city with, with the rest of you guys. 
And, um, you know, I, I've always said, you know, uh, and I'm the type of person I, I, I prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a, a more drawn out thing. Um, you know, I'm seeing it right now, as Ari said, you know, we have brokers out there who are going against state law who are, who are showing when they shouldn't be showing. And it's tough because, you know, I have clients who are calling me going, you know, why are these guys showing and you're not showing? So, um, you know, definitely have that to, to deal with, but that's life. That is what it is. I mean, you know, uh, when you have things like pandemics, it always turns into a little bit of the wild west, and um, um, you know there's not much you can do about it. You know we'll we'll get through it. It's sort of like wearing masks uh, on on a construction site. You know I was I was watching these guys pave a road up here the other day, and none of them were wearing masks. But you go to a construction site in New York City, and you've got guys with hard hats. You know it probably took a while before these guys you know, back in the day, all started to wear hard hats and it took things like fines and shutting down job sites, but they all wear hard hats today and they don't care. So it's the same thing with masks, you know, people will, people will get used to it. They'll, you know, start wearing it, hopefully, you know, that's, that's all you can do is hope for, for people to, to sort of adopt some of these things that will keep others safe. Because at the end of the day, you know, some of the brokers who are immune compromised or, or older, like myself, you know, maybe we don't want to be out there showing right away. And some of the younger guys are like, well, it's not going to affect me, so I'll be out there. And, uh, you know, that's that's just life right now. And, um, you know, you got to hope that uh, that everybody's going to watch out for each other and, and work together. And that's landlords, tenants, it's everybody. I think, I think in the cities like New York City, the urban centers, you'll get more adoption of mask wearing than, you know, somewhere in the hinterlands because I'm here in Putnam County and, you know, I, the only time I see a mask on a person is in a grocery store. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I don't see it at all. I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost like there isn't a care in the world. They just kind of go about their business and driving all over the place. Obviously, they can't go to work, but I mean, they just, it, it just doesn't seem to have the same impact as the urban centers. And, and you know, obviously, we were affected a lot more. Ronan, so you get yes. the last word. Um, so, you know, have you gotten any kind of guidance from anybody at all about dates to, uh, to begin opening up? I mean, I, I know you guys are in phase three, which, I, you know, yes. probably takes you to August maybe, but any guidance at all? No, not at all. I don't know. If, I don't know if they know yet, but I do agree with Ari. I just want to say that I do think we have a short-term um, memory, but I do also think, which is good and bad, because <laughs> it's good <laughs> because you know we want to we, we want to go to our habitual ways, but it's bad because we never stay with something long enough to understand what's going on. Um, so, but I do, I, I, yeah, I don't know, like, like, like Bo said, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the restaurant business. It's very, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I wish to have your problem that you introduced that I will have a lot of people want to come. <laughs> that would be a luxury <laughs> problem nice, to deal with. It's going to happen. The nice thing is, is that the, everyone in New York is really, you know, they're behind the local businesses and they want to see everyone yeah. survive and yes. thrive and they were very generous with yes, that. Yes, absolutely. There was a lot yeah. of generosity from my customers. I'm going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Whatever Thank I can. Same here. But, and All right, guys. If it's got to be in a spacesuit with a straw, I don't care. I'll <laughs> you can take the mask off when you're out about to eat. All right. With that, we are completely out of time. That's our broadcast for today. Thank you for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. Stay home, stay safe, stop the spread, and be kind to one another. 
keep your eye on the stars, everyone, but keep your feet on the ground. For all of us uh, at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.